Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You on a Sunday morning to worship You, to bring glory and honor to Your name, to lift up the name of Your Son, Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again. Lord, we want to glorify You for the greatest words ever spoken in human tongue. In the Hebrew, only one. In English, it's three. It is finished. Lord, all that needs to be done for a soul to go to heaven has been completed through the work of our Savior upon the cross. As the Son of God offered Himself through the Holy Spirit of God to God the Father that our sins might be forgiven us, Lord, we ask that truly we would give glory to Your name today, that we would worship the King not only in church, not only with what we say, but with a changed life to show this world the difference that believing in Jesus makes. Help us, Lord. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom as the two remaining songs to be sung and the choir singing, Lord, the preaching, the invitation, the offering. Lord, the truly... This house, this air, this building, this space would be dedicated to your worship today. A worship that would change the way we live through this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Churches, you may now be dismissed. The rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 10. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you once again of the Verses that we have chosen to be our theme throughout the year. Be still and know that I am God. I was thinking about that verse. And, and you know, that's one of the reasons why on Sunday mornings we have a preaching and, and teaching services here. Uh, it's a time to sit still and hear from the Word of God and learn who God is. You know, so often we just listen to what goes on around us and we do not <clears throat> take time and effort to double check those things in the Word of God. You know, something that just appears to be right and feels right and and seems to be right, that doesn't always necessarily mean that it is right. We have to constantly refer to the Word of God, and that's a responsibility that does not fall only on the shoulders of the pastor, but upon every member of our church to make sure that what we are doing comes from the Word of God. I don't know about you, but it's hard to sit still. It, it's hard to take time to be still. The world tells us, oh, listen, you've got to have some personal time. You've got to have some time for yourself. I'll, I'll tell you what you need time for. To spend with Jesus. That's what what you need time for, amen? And that's the hardest thing to get because what happens when you finally sit still? 
every stray thought that you've had for the last six months, since the last time you sat down and was still, all of a sudden just starts whoom, right in and, and, and confusing and say, oh my, I got this to do, I got that to do, I can't be here. But if we can get past these things, that's why we sing the songs that we sing. Can you imagine that day when we stand before the King? We worship Him, but we cannot see Him. But one day we're going to see Him. And we will not be terrified in His presence because He has made us righteous with His own righteousness. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ. The fact that God forgives us for our sins. The fact that He lives. I am so glad today the cross is empty, my friend. Never again will Jesus suffer and die. Once has He paid the price. Our other verses that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. If you missed Friday night, you, you just missed a good time. You really did. Uh, what we did with our family fun night was Christmas in July. And you didn't have to buy anything or wrap any presents. In fact, uh, it was kind of fun watching people unwrap that present in that one little game that we had. Uh, and uh, we just had a good time, but we, what we did, really, if you want to know, uh, though I hadn't planned it that way, was uh, Friday night's message is really the introduction to this morning's message. We need to remember that Jesus is the Son of God, is God the Son. And yet, He took upon Him human flesh, and He dwelt among us as a man, because He loves us. I was talking with a lady who often uh, parks her car right in the middle of the church loading zone out there. It, It can't be on one side. It's always... Right in the middle, and always seems to be a time when we got things going on, and and, and it's like, ma'am, would you mind pulling the car up to one side or or moving the car because we have people coming in, and, and and she always wants to talk about religion, and, and oh yes, and the church fathers this and the this and the that and the this and the that and love and uh, you know sometimes you just love your kids too much. And, of course, any time somebody says something like that, it always arrests my attention. And she says, you, 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 have to, you have to sometimes be firm. I said, you need to understand something. Being firm is love. Being permissive is not love. If you really hate your children, just let them do whatever they want. 
That is the most evil thing a parent can do to their children. Just give in. Let them do whatever they want. But if you really love them, what is the Bible definition of love? God is love. How, how do I do that? Well, number one, I introduce my children to who God is. Amen? Number two, I teach them out of this book called the Bible. I help them understand that life is very complicated and you can't understand everything that life has to offer. But if you use this book, it'll make the complicated things very simple. Every once in a while, now it's not so much anymore because my children are are growing. I I don't have any more really little ones running around. And... and, uh, and so I have to go back into history a little bit to get some of the stories. But it's amazing connections that are made in little minds. That's why we have the, sun, the through the Bible time that goes through the Bible in Sunday morning, through the stories. Brother Franz does that on Wednesday nights. And he asked me in a couple of weeks, he said, Pastor, can you fill in for me? We need to get a couple of days away on Thursday night. I said, I'm sure. He said, now you can do whatever you want, but we're, we're doing through the Bible on Wednesday nights. And I'll tell you what lesson. I said, listen, I've been doing that since 1994. Uh, that's not a problem. I never mind going through the Bible stories again. Every time you learn something new, you learn a little bit more about God. Amen? And this morning, what I'd like for us to do is to look at three passages of Scripture. Actually, four. Well, let me check my notes. There might be five or six in here. We'll we'll figure it out by the time it's up. But, But several different passages this morning, general passages, they give us a vision that paint us a picture of who Jesus really is. Uh, Jesus himself said there are many false Christ. There, there are many imitations out there. And not every one of them stands up and says, I'm a false Christ. Now, how many of you are old enough to remember the wacko from Waco? Uh, David Koresh was his name, and he was in the news. And Now, was anyone here going and grabbing their Bibles and checking to make sure David Koresh was not Jesus Christ? Do we have anyone like, please see me afterwards. Uh, you need advanced counseling. We, we will try to help you. But if you were confused uh, by that, uh, uh, and I am being a little sarcastic because... I sincerely doubt there would be anyone in this room that would be so foolish as to believe the wacko from Waco could possibly be the Lord Jesus Christ. Could we say amen to that? And you know why I I have that confidence? It's because people know what's in this book. But not every imitation Christ is that easily spotted. 
because the devil himself is transformed into an angel of light. I can't tell you how many people over the years have said, Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but... And immediately I know that they're seeing by a light that does not come from this book called the Bible. There are no buts when it comes to the Word of God. Can we say amen to that? There there are no contradictions in this book. This is God's Word to mankind. If you want to know how much Jesus loves you, just read what's in this book. And here in John chapter 10, let's start in, in verse 22 if we can. Verse 22 of John chapter 10. And it was in Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication. Now, how many of you are familiar with what John is talking about here? Hanukkah. That is the Feast of the Dedication of the Temple as they relit the menorah, which is pictured in the stained glass windows here. This building used to be a synagogue. As they relit the menorah after cleansing the temple when it was defiled by uh, the... uh, by uh, the foreign leader, by uh, um, Antiochus Epiphanes. They only had enough oil for one day. And they went ahead and lit the lamps and they burned seven more days. And they celebrate the Feast of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. And Jesus was there in Jerusalem at the temple that was then standing where this miracle had actually happened. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews. Now, when you see this word in your King James Bible, capital J-E-W-S, what that's talking about is the rulers, the chief priests, the Sadducees, because everybody in the temple was a Jew. In fact, if you weren't a Jewish man, the penalty was death for entering Solomon's porch, let alone the that was in the temple complex there. You could not get there without being a Jewish male. And so, these religious leaders came round about him, encircled him, and said, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, that's a pretty simple question. Straightforward, it would seem. Uh, honest, and, and they simply said, you have put us in doubt. You have never spoken clearly on this issue. Are you the Christ? Tell us. Now look at Jesus' answer, and then all of a sudden you'll see the dishonesty and the deceit and the untruth and the lies that were in that simple question that on the surface appears so true and careful. Jesus, verse 25, answered them, I told you. Jesus said, liars, the only reason you doubt is because you weren't listening in the first place. The only reason there's any doubt in in your heart of who I am is because you refuse to listen to the words I say. And when you hear the words... You refuse to allow them to make any sense to you. Have you ever met anybody like that? 
I taught trigonometry one year. I had some students. And as we began the class, I soon began to realize that the foundation that they had in mathematics had not prepared them for this class. And my wife will remember I was working so hard to stay just one step ahead of those students. And because I hadn't, re- at that time, it had been uh, five or six years since I had done any kind of advanced mathematics. That's normally not necessary in Bible college, amen? Uh, and, uh, yeah, some of our Bible college students will say amen about that. And so, as I was teaching, I realized that, I said, now, how many of you remember the polynomial and quadratic equations from, uh, from Algebra 2? And all the hands went up. And I said, now, how many of you are familiar with a proof? Every hand went down. I said, oh, no. We're in trouble here. How many of you are familiar with trigonometry? Okay, some hands go up. You know, trigonometry is not about the answer. It's about the thought process involved or the steps that it takes to get the answer. It's not about working the equation. It's about proving that you work the equation right. You see, this is what the problem is and why advanced mathematics is taught so little is because advanced mathematics teaches you how to think. And in our society today, that is a very dangerous thing to be able to think. Because you just might not believe what the politicians tell you if you can actually think. How many have experienced that problem? That's why we need to pray for our country, do we not? And Jesus was having the same problem right here. He says, I told you. I don't think Jesus was standing there going, well, you know, I told you and you didn't believe. I think I believe that he looked them straight in the face and said, I told you and ye believe not. He was condemning them in their unbelief. He said, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. How many of you remember the story of Nicodemus? What did Nicodemus tell Jesus as he came to him by night? He said, we know. Now, who was we in there? Nicodemus is just me. When Nicodemus used that plural pronoun, we, who was he talking about? Well, the Bible says that Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees. And a ruler of the Jews. Guess what? This capital J-E-W-S here in John chapter 10. And the Pharisees and the rulers of the Jews were the same people. And they said, and Nicodemus had said, We know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. We say amen to that. There was no doubt in any honest mind in the land of Israel the identity of Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. 
There could be no doubt. Well, then, why was there doubt here? Why was there unbelief here? Why, in this vision of Jesus, this picture that is painted of Him for us to understand, why do they stand here and say, you leave us to doubt? The hundreds of pairs of blind eyes that had been made to see, lame legs that had been made to walk, withered hands that had been healed, all of the diseases that Jesus had cleansed and the demons he had cast out. Jesus said, listen, if you guys, if we were to put it a little less, a little more rudely, he said, if you even had one lick of sense, if you had one little tiny bit of understanding, you would have to understand who I am. There would be no doubt. But let me tell you why there's doubt. Let me tell you why you don't understand. He said, you are not of my sheep. Boy, everybody loves to quote the 23rd Psalm, do they not? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'll tell you what, I love to quote the 23rd Psalm. But if you're not his sheep... That psalm does not apply to you. And Jesus told these men, he said, you're not my sheep. And then he goes on to say, as I said unto you. He says, I'm not telling you once, I'm telling you twice. You believe not, you're not my sheep. You have nothing to do with me. Because you have made this decision not to be my sheep, not to allow the work of God that makes you one of my sheep to be active in your life, because you've refused that, you can't believe on me. Have you ever met someone that just could not accept that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah? It's because they've already made decisions not to believe in Him. Now, we pray and we keep giving them the gospel. We keep giving people the Word of God. But here's what Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou hast, because thou, being a man, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Don't tell me that the Pharisees and the Jewish people did not understand the message of Jesus Christ. They were in the temple compound 
taking stones up from the pavement of the temple, trying to murder Jesus. When isn't it one of the commandments that says, Thou shalt not kill? You see how ludicrous this thing was? And what they were going to use as evidence to convict Jesus of this crime, to say that he was worthy of death, was the fact that he, being a man, claimed to be God. And yet, let me ask you a question. Who is Christ? God. What was the question they had asked him? Why do you leave us doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And when he told them plainly, they picked up stones to stone him, didn't they? See, I, I want us to see the picture here, the, the, the painting of Jesus, if we might. Our great Savior. Amen. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. You know, I've had many, many discussions over the years about eternal life, and, and people will say, well, you can't, you can't know you have eternal life until you get to heaven. Is that what this passage says? No, this passage clearly states that Jesus said, I will give them eternal life. Who is them? Them are his sheep. How do you become his sheep? Well, it clearly states here, the reason these people were not his sheep is because they refused to believe in him. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. You know, when I used to work for Brother Clayton many years ago, I was in charge of the children's ministry. And, and we would take this verse and try to help people understand. And I would take off my class ring or something like that, or even like this little mint, and said, you know, that's like you right there. If you will become one of Jesus' sheep, he says he will put you in his hand. And he said, no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. And I would give my hand to the little child and I'd say, now can you, can you get that mint out of my hand? And they'd pry and pry and say, no, I can't. And I said, but that's not the end of it, my friend. He says, my father is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my Father are one. You see, I'm in the Savior's hand, and the Savior's hand is in the Father's. And I am in the safest place in the entire universe. Because when Jesus saves you, He does it all the way. That's why we love the phrase he said on the cross, it is finished. So many times people will miss heaven by about 18 inches. They understand up here, 
but they never let it change down here. That's the difference between being a learned person, one of the Jews in our story, and being one of the sheep. You see, a sheep just follows the shepherd. Amen? And this picture of Jesus here as the great Savior... The Jewish people there understood exactly what he was saying. And they were going to stone him for it. Would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. The book of Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus is the only Savior. There are no others. He does not need any help in saving us. He is the good shepherd. All we have to do is become one of his sheep. And he will do that the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Can we say amen to that? Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Talking about Jesus. For in that he hath put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Do you see the picture of Jesus? It says, all authority. Jesus, when he commissioned his church in in Matthew chapter 28, says, all authority... All power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. You know, we have a lot of people running around trying to be in charge of what Jesus is already in charge of. It's a terrible problem. You see, we do not see Jesus yet ruling and reigning. Back before World War I, there was a great theological group of people made up of actually many different religions who believed that the church would eventually make the world such a wonderful place that Jesus would descend from heaven and sit upon the throne of the church ruling the world. After World War I... We'll go back to our scribes and Pharisees. If you had a lick of sense, you knew that could never possibly be true. 
the amount of death and carnage from that war. The the unbelievable horrors that man perpetrated against his fellow man. Help people understand that this earth and people on it and no organization on this earth, no church, no group of people would ever straighten things out. I'd want to challenge you, the only person who will ever straighten things out is Jesus Christ. But you see, we don't see that happening yet. Because He's giving you time to understand who He really is and what He really did. I don't know if you've ever met any really uh, authoritative or powerful individuals. Uh, I don't know that I really have in person met anybody like this, but I've met an awful lot of people who think they are. How about you? I mean, walk into a room. What's going on? I'm in charge. How many of you got somebody at work like that? Oh, it's just lovely, isn't it? It just makes life absolutely miserable, doesn't it? You see, Jesus is not like that. You know what he did? He suffered death for us. That doesn't sound like a great king now, does it? He was God's great sacrifice. He was God's great servant. You see, the Bible tells us that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, that's an interesting word choice, is it not? Uh, I think it was, yeah, I know Deborah, she was making the cake for the uh, baby shower. And, of course, being the pastor of the church, I'm the official taste tester of all those kinds of things, and And I do not double dip, only once. If I want more, I'll go get a clean spoon, all right? So be assured there are no extra germs in any of the cooking. But uh, uh, I'll find uh, whatever she's cooking there. And uh, peanut butter icing happens to be one of my favorites. And so I just had to make sure that it was right. And and, uh, all of those things. I I like to taste things. How about you? I like food that tastes good. I like coffee that tastes good. I I stopped at a restaurant in Pennsylvania many years ago. I was just so tired I could hardly drive. I said, I need a cup of coffee. And I saw this advertisement. World's worst apple pie. And I wanted to add underneath. And coffee, too. Oh, that was the... Most I remember that cup of coffee. It was terrible. Uh, 
but it actually kept me awake. It was so terrible, so I guess it was all right. But uh, mission accomplished, just not very pleasantly. But see, tasting something is different than eating something, isn't it? Tasting something is different than filling yourself with something. Tasting means you only get a little bit of it. You see, Jesus could not be overcome by death because of who he is. And so he tasted death for every person in this room and every person who ever lived because he is God. If you should try to taste what Jesus did, you will spend an eternity in hell in torment, separated from a holy God. Because just a taste will destroy your soul forever. But you see, Jesus is the great sacrifice as the great servant of God could take the punishment of every human being that ever lived, go to the grave for three days, and come out again Resurrection Sunday morning. Can we say amen to that? And I love this passage, and we don't have time to build it up all the way this morning, but he is the captain. Now, the word captain denotes authority. It denotes direction. It denotes the right to give you an order and tell you what to do, and you have the obligation to obey. I want you to understand something here. If you're going to get saved today, you've got to get saved Jesus' way. It can't be yours. He's the captain of our salvation. There's only one way. It's only through Jesus. It was finished on the cross. Amen. I love that song. that they sang. But you see, it was God that sent Jesus to the cross. Jesus, as God, suffered on the cross so that we could be sanctified or made righteous through Jesus Christ. And it says He's not ashamed to call us His brethren. Now, if you ever... Get used to that thought. If that thought does not make you stop. See, you you want to know who God is? He sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for your sins so he could adopt you into his family. So that Jesus could be your older brother. So that you could live with him for all eternity in heaven. tell you, there's no story that even comes close to the love that is in this book called the Bible. Can we say amen to that? Now, let's turn to Revelation chapter 1. Verse 10. 
This is John, the disciple, speaking. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first. And the last, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now again, if we're going to finish anywhere near on time, we're going to have to skip a lot of these things, but I want you to, to grasp and get a hold of this. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. There are people who want to make Sunday worship a new phenomenon. No, no. A hundred A.D., those that loved Jesus Christ met on the first day of the week. Maybe it wasn't Sunday morning because that was a work day in the Roman world. But they met on the first day of the week. John had nothing to do. He was in exile on the island of Patmos. He was left there to die. But on Sunday, he worshipped God anyway. Because that's the right place to be on Sunday. Amen? And Jesus appeared. And it gives us a description. And if you want to read a very similar description, go to Daniel chapter 10. As Daniel fasted and prayed, the man that appeared unto Daniel and, and helped him understand what he was seeking to understand looks very similar to the same Jesus that is here in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus makes some claims. He says, I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the first and the last. I am he that was dead and liveth evermore. Amen. He said, I have the keys of hell and of death. But I'm here to give you a message to my churches. You notice how that's plural? He didn't say, I have a message for my church. No, it's the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamos. And I didn't get those in perfect order, I don't think. 
Yes, I did. And Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, these seven churches. I've read many books where, oh, these are the different church ages. Read the words, my friend. They were specific, living, active churches in 100 A.D. when John penned these words at the very dictation of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are letters to churches. They have instructions. You see, Jesus is the great Savior. He is the great sacrifice, the great servant. But He is the Lord of His churches. Just because people meet and call it a church doesn't mean it's a church of Jesus Christ. You've got to follow the instructions that are in this book. Maybe we ought to take the next five or six, seven Sundays and just go through those letters to the churches. Uh, there are warnings and things that we need to take heed to. And I believe that any church can find themselves, and my prayer has been since day one, that we would find ourselves as the Philadelphia church, for thou hast a little strength. And I have set before thee an open door, and that verse is printed on our doors out front. That's where we get the name of our church, Open Door Bible Baptist. Somebody told me, yeah, the name of your church means you're, you, you don't care about doctrine. Anybody can come in. I said, well, wait, wait a minute. The name of our church means that Jesus opened the doors. And those doors are open to anybody that will walk through them. But if you're going to stay, we have some things that we've got to pay attention to in this book called the Bible. Amen? We've got to follow the teaching that Jesus gave to His churches. Because, let's go to Revelation chapter 19. And let's look at verse 11. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was faith called, faithful, and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture drip, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to turn to chapter 20, and let's go down to verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived 
and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Skip with me to chapter 21 and verses 22. It says, And I saw no temple therein, talking about the new Jerusalem. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. You see, Jesus is the great King. If you like alliteration, the great sovereign. And he is coming again. When he comes again, he will embody all of the pictures that we have seen so far. He is the only Savior of mankind. He is the sacrifice. He is the servant of God the Father. But He is the Lord of His churches. And He will be the King of kings and Lord of lords of all the earth. Every evil, demonic dictator since the days of Cain have tried to imitate what Jesus will do during his thousand-year reign on earth, as the Bible tells us. Napoleon thought he was the one. He only had a couple of problems. Elba, Waterloo. They kind of defeated that thing. Hitler's Reich was to last a thousand years. From the date he made that statement, I'm not quite sure it lasted even a thousand days. You see, there are no kings but Jesus. And we need to take a moment and look at him today. He has the answers for his churches, but we've got to follow him. He has the answer for all sin. But you've got to believe on Him. All authority is given unto Him. And just because you don't see it now doesn't mean that He's any less sovereign than He is. That's why I despise the Protestants and their Calvinism. It is such a blasphemy upon the Word of God and the truths that are in this book. If you read the last Baptist Times, and I encourage you, there's still a few copies out there, get it. Uh, Brother Merrill has put in there uh, uh, an issue that Calvinism is idolatry. And it is. It is idol worship. You worship the idol of your mind. But read those articles. And if you want the past ones, I think we might have a copy or two laying around. He's written uh, half a dozen or more articles in the past issues on that thing. But I'm so glad that I don't have to identify as anything but a believer in this book. Historically, if I'm going to use the name that is historically correct, I use the name Baptist. But guess what? All men are liars, aren't they? 
So just because it has the name Baptist, somebody said, you only believe Baptists are going to heaven. I said, no, I don't. Uh, there's an awful lot of Baptists that aren't going to make it. Uh, it's not in your name. Are you a sheep? If you're a sheep, then you follow Jesus. And he knows who you are. And you're in his hand, and his hand is in the Father's. Amen? You see, that's what makes us listen and follow the Lord of his churches. And Jesus deals with his churches as individual assemblies. Because that's the only way the church functions. As an individual assembly responsible directly to Jesus Christ. We need to follow him. Because he's the Savior. He's the coming King. I don't know about you, but I want to be ready. Do you? You want to be ready when Jesus comes? And I love, wish we had time to finish the whole thing out of the book of Revelation. But you see, the armies of heaven never fight. Because Jesus does all the fighting with his spoken word. You ever meet somebody talking about, I'm going to use the sword of the Spirit and I'm going to get away from them. We had a little discussion in our house. One of the girls had asked Jason to bring down a kitchen knife. And uh, Jason did not do so safely. And praise God, no one was injured. We caught it quickly. Solved that problem. But that little story just reminds me of someone who talks about the sword of the Spirit and how they're going to, just like a little child with a great big knife, just get out of the way and get it away from them before they hurt somebody, especially themselves. Amen? You see, this belongs to Jesus. You cannot separate the living word and the written word. You want to get to know Jesus, get in this book. Follow him. Be still. He's the great Savior, the only one. The great sacrifice, the great servant. He's the one that served us in tasting death for us that we may live. But he is the Lord of his church. And if we do not pay that lordship with our allegiance and obedience, we sin against the Lord of his church. Because he's coming again. And we're looking forward to that day. I love the thought of being in an army where I don't have to fight because the battle's already won through the spoken word of our King, our Savior, our sacrifice, our Lord.
And all God's people said. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we want to worship you by learning more about you, by lifting up your name, by, by extolling your great attributes and all that you have done for us. Lord, I pray that if there be anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior, that today would be at least a a step closer to understanding that truth from the Bible, to coming to God as a sinner and having Him transform us into a sheep. Lord, I want to pray that you would help us as a church to follow and be obedient to the Lord of the churches. And that we would surrender to the spoken word and direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would anticipate the coming of the Lord when he comes to rule and reign after the tribulation and, and to settle all things and to set up a thousand year kingdom. Lord, we thank you for being the God of heaven that loved us so much that you died in our place. We ask the Holy Spirit would have freedom to help us understand and live these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as Andrew comes to lead us in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open. If you're not